Our scripture today is from James chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Thank you, Chris. Uh, I'd like to also give a plug for baptisms. We actually have three uh, planned for a Palm Sunday coming up, so it's a party. Um, and if you don't know how we do it here, being a portable church, we have a portable baptismal. It's a little portable, like jacuzzi type thing, although we bring in hot water. The team's awesome. They bring in hot water, warm water. It's not scalding. But we get in and we do all that sort of thing. Um, so three are already signed up to be baptized, including, by the way, church family, somebody who this past week put their faith in Jesus and wants to be baptized that day. So we're, yeah, let's give a hand for. For that individual. Um, but that's just to say there's a party, and we want you to be a part of it too. If you've never been baptized, if you have any questions about it, we'd love to talk with you further. Uh, let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into the text today. Father, thank you so much uh, for beautiful days like these, when we're just reminded of the, the place we get to live in, just the weather we, we just so often take for granted. Uh, thank you for this time. Thank you for this time that we have together as we look now at your word. Father, we ask for your spirit. Would you give me your spirit as I seek to teach your word in a, in, a, in a supernatural, spiritual way? Would you help me get out of the way, and would it be your words that we hear today? Father, if there's anybody here today who, who hasn't uh, decided to begin a relationship with you or uh, hasn't even uh, heard what that uh, would even mean or look like, uh, Lord, would you use today to help them understand more about you, to draw them maybe even into your family today by faith? And then, Father, today as we just collectively look at this topic of patience, I, it's a topic I confess uh, I don't do all that well in, and I imagine for most, if not everybody here, patience is something that's hard for us. But nevertheless, we need your help, and we uh, ask for, for your Spirit to uh, learn and live from these things today. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, at one time or another, or in one way or another, many of us will be tempted to want to give up. Uh, we'll we'll want to just throw it in and say, I'm, I'm done. Whether it's with a particular life situation, you know, having to do with, with work, uh, your living situation, with a particular relationship. Maybe it's even with your own family, a circumstance that you're just like, man, you're just feeling really tempted to, to give up. I've been there. We've all been there many, many times. It's, it's the struggle of what we are to do when we feel like we're at that moment of just saying, you know what, I'm done. I just want to give up. Um, 
And so it's no wonder that when we hear stories of great patience and endurance that our hearts are, are lifted. Uh, we are really encouraged. Uh, you know, stories of people just really coming through, people who stuck with it when they were tempted to give up. Uh, Victor Hugo, the great author of, of Les Mis, put it this way, perseverance is the secret of all triumphs. Uh, listen to that. Perseverance is the secret of all triumphs. It's this idea of, that we have to press on, that all things in life that are significant, that uh, have, are of any value, that are of any worth, are going to take patience. And yet sometimes I think that's uh, hard for us to let sink in. I wonder sometimes, is that really even true? You know, is there really any value for waiting on things? Uh, we're often told in our culture, don't sit around and wait. If you do, nobody else is doing that, and you're going to miss out. In fact, there was a CEO who submitted an article to TechCrunch that he, he titled the, the, his, his article this, Patience is a Virtue for Losers, which I think, <laughs> it's like, come on, dude, tell us what you're really thinking. Um, I feel like it's something that we probably wrestle with, that we, we will probably feel in our fast-paced, grab-it-while-you-can culture, we may ask ourselves, why is it then that I am waiting? Why is it then that I am enduring times of difficulty? I might as well give up. I might as well, uh, I, I don't need this patience. And yet, we're told in the Bible that one of the greatest determining factors between whether we are becoming bitter or better or whether or not we are being destroyed or being transformed through times of difficulty and adversity has to do with patience. Um, we've heard a lot about grit over the last couple of years, and our culture is kind of a buzzword. Um, I, think, uh, I think that is very much in many ways here what the Bible is talking about, although it's uh, sites, the Bible sites are on things that are eternal, not just what is here and now. We need grit. In fact, one of the hallmarks of whether you're growing as a person is patience. Your life, according to the Bible, is to be marked by patience. It's to be marked by endurance. And as it is so, two things will happen. One, you will become stable in an uncertain world. And two, you will be able to handle what threatens your stability with poise. So the question then is, well, okay, how then do we keep going through times of difficulty, through times of hardship, and not just in such a way where it's like we're just surviving, but that we're actually thriving? How do we do this? Well, James shows us. Uh, but first, we actually need to understand the, the context for what he's writing, okay? Um, because he's talking about patience here, but the first six verses, he's talking about the context, the adversity that the ch early church was, was facing. So if you look at the first six verses, you see that James is using his spicy language, as he's wont to do. If you've been coming around, James has no shortage for, like, language. He's really tearing into the rich, because the rich have made life miserable for the poor. Check out how he starts. He says, now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Now, it's interesting to note here, Bible scholars are quick to help us understand that here in the book of James, he is not addressing, as he usually does, the, quote, brothers and sisters in the church. Um, normally, when he's talking to the early church, he's saying, brothers and sisters, listen here and, and, and take this in. And, and in fact, he's going to do that as we get to patience. Here, he's just kind of taking on a, a, an injustice that is happening in the culture at large in that day, in the society at large, and of which that very poor church was dealing with, was confronting. There were some rich people in that early church that James was writing to. And actually, if you're here back when we looked at chapter one, you know that James wasn't afraid to really kind of lay into them there, talking to the rich Christians. 
But here he's kind of talking about a kind of a societal problem, and he gives a scathing rebuke to the rich. And he talks about how the rich really are going to be judged for four things that they're doing. Number one, they're hoarding. Verse two, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Number two, they're stealing. Look, verse four, the wages you failed to draw, the work, uh, the, you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Uh, I find that wording interesting because the word Lord Almighty is actually more uh, better, uh, literally translated, Lord of hosts. Uh, James is like employing this big word, the, the Lord of earthly and heavenly armies is paying attention, you, you rich who are stealing. And then, verse, and then uh, number three, the rich are being self-indulgent. Verse five, you have lived on earth in luxury. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. And then verse six, you see that the rich, James is saying, are being downright oppressive. You have condemned and murdered the innocent who were not even oppressing you. Uh, you know, this acts then as the umbrella context for which we are going to understand what he's going to speak into here in a moment as we look at verse 7 and, and beyond. This umbrella context that, you know, when, when the, the believers were wrestling with their need for patience, this is the issue. They were facing some injustice with the rich just really outright oppressing them. And yet, before we jump into James' thought on, on, on patience and taking that in, we do need to start with what he's doing here with the rich, and that is understand his warning. Uh, we need to take it in because we live, of course, in a very rich place, uh, richest part of the world in many respects, um, and we need to take light of this. You know, it was interesting to me as I was preparing for this message today, uh, excuse me, this week for today, uh, how hard it was to read these words that James was writing to the rich and not think about the scandal that, was, uh, that came to light this week. You guys following the, you guys following the scandal with the university students, the, the rich uh, so there's a number of people down in um, ho the Hollywood area, actually a lot of folks in the Silicon Valley, CXOs, who have basic, basically bribed the way forward for their rich kids to get into the top universities. You've been paying attention? It's, it's an extreme case, uh, and it's really quite sad in many respects, but also disgusting. There's the, from what little I understand, the guy who kind of helped set up this scheme uh, set up a false charity that they were giving into uh, for, uh, under the banner of giving to this, you know, to the poor through this charity. You know, it was a totally bogus charity, but giving to the poor in this, in this, for this charity, getting all the tax breaks, and yet, not only were they not giving to the poor and helping themselves in the way, they were oppressing the poor in the sense of stealing the university positions, slots from the poor and giving it to their rich kids. I mean, that's kind of the level of what was going on this week. And now, that sounds like a pretty extreme example. You know what I woke up to today in my feed? An article that says that this scandal is actually more widespread than just those people. Actually, the article I saw in my feed today had the quote, everybody's doing it. And I was reading, I didn't get a chance to read all of it because I have to prepare for a sermon, but I was just like, my goodness, people were saying, people are, like, the, the, the cheating on applications and tests and all that sort of thing to get into universities, it's just rampant, it's widespread in terms of what people are doing and how the people who are advantaged are taking uh, advantage of, of, of the poor. You know, I was reading an article again this week um, on, on medium.com of this gal who came to the Silicon Valley 
uh, grew up in the area, went to a university elsewhere, but came back and was just like, you know what, I'm coming here to, to more or less change the world. I want to give back. I want to I help society. And the Silicon Valley high tech, that's what we're about. That's what it's going to be about. And the whole article was talking about how she basically became disillusioned with that thought and how she came here to change the world. But really, the, all of these companies, in her humble opinion, are saying they want to do that, but really they're more or less doing their own thing. They're pursuing wealth and material. Uh, we've talked about this before in, in, these, in, in, in our times together. It's a very real thing. We live in the most rich part of the U.S., you've heard me say before. Data will show we're, in many respects, the richest part of the U.S., but also falling near dead last in per capita charitable giving. Uh, I think before we wrestle with the context and understanding of being patient, we need to take James's thought here, his warning to the rich, to heart. Uh, it, there's no small reason why Jesus said things like, in Luke 12, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in all abundance, in an abundance of possessions. You know, it's interesting, Jesus didn't say the words watch out to a whole lot of things, very few things, but he did say it about greed. Why? Because it's something we can be easily blind to. It's something we can easily uh, not see in our own lives. The way we say it here at Current is there's a strong current out there to find our ultimate worth and value, meaning, and pursuing things like money and its, and its cousin status, power, prestige. But James is warning us here to not go down that destructive path, to watch out for it. And he shows us that God cares deeply about not only the use of money, but our pers- pursuit of money. Uh, money is not, a necess- is not inherently evil, but it's a root for all kinds of evil. So we need to be on our guard. We need to watch. So that's the warning, but it also serves as the context for what James is getting ready to say here to the early church, like kind of his message here in this little uh, section of Scripture. And what's interesting to me is as he moves now into this thought of what he wants to say to the church in verse 7, notice first that what he doesn't say is, okay, if this is the case, this are the, these are the injustices out there. Okay, here's what it means, church, rise up and fight. You know, class warfare, go out and, and you know, change the way that the system is. Now, the, the church is to be about justice. The church is not to just roll over and not care. And yet what James is concerned about here is infinitely more important. He has something infinitely more important to say to the people who are feeling the thought, I can't do this anymore, I'm done. Whether it's a systemic issue that you're facing, if you're, if you're in a place where you're feeling uh, down, where you're feeling you, you might be tempted to give up, or whether it's something more personal, uh, personal that, that you're facing, that you just say, I can't do this, uh, I'm done. James has some words for you and me here today as we look to follow him. And it, his exhortation here over and over again is be patient. Verse 7, be patient, brothers and sisters. Verse 8, be patient and stand firm. That word literally means, uh, those words stand firm, literally means strengthen your hearts, strengthen yourselves to your inner core. And then verse 9, he says, don't grumble against one another. His brothers and sisters, or, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. You know what's interesting about that thought, before we jump into lessons on patience here, is it seems to me when we are struggling with something, when we're really wrestling something through, something's got to sow down that we're tempted just to give up. Who often do we take that out on? You know, let's say you're in the middle of the workplace and your boss whom you can't really take it out on. Or let's say you have a life situation that you wish you could just take it out on, but there's no person to take it out on. Who do we take it out on? We tend to take it out on the people closest to us, do we not? Do we not take it out on our spouses, husbands, wives, on our roommates, maybe even in our small groups, our friends? 
Uh, there's just things that are affecting us over here, but indirectly or even directly, it's affecting our relationships with those people closest to us. James says, be mindful of this. Don't grumble against one another. Uh, be patient. Stand firm. Well then, okay, how can we be patient in the face of real adversity? How, how do we see this in a way that we are not just surviving but thriving? Okay, James gives us the example of the farmer. I love this. He gives us an example of the farmer. Verse 7, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm. Here's some lessons on patience from the farmer. Number one, the farmer knows the work takes grit. Uh, I, I remember meeting a farmer real uh, uh, very recently, and uh, I'll never forget because um, I, I, the way in which I got to know that he was a farmer, he didn't come up and introduce himself as, hey, I'm Farmer John, uh, but I, I got to know that he was a farmer in a very unique way that I'll, I'll always remember. Uh, he came up, introduced himself, gave me, uh, said his name, but when we shook hands, his hand was like rock solid. And I'm not talking like, you know, steel trap hand grip. You know what I'm saying? How some folks will just have that nice, uh, firm hand grip. No, his, heart, his whole hand was like one big callus. And I felt really bad because I was like noticing this. And he noticed me noticing. I was like, oh, boy. He said, oh, yeah, no, you're not the first to notice. I'm a farmer. I was like, oh, okay. He's visiting from the Central Valley. And it was about this time that I also noticed that he had this real ruddy tan. Uh, you know how like, you know, Okay, I'll just say for, my, for myself, you know, us pale folk go off to the beach and we come back and it's just like this painted on tan. Like that wasn't this dude's tan. This tan was, it was, a, it was a tan of a farmer. Um, the work of a farmer takes grit. The farmers are out there day after day wrestling with the soil early in the morning. They're out there tilling, leveling, molding the soil into neat rows, preparing it for the seeds. Then they're fertilizing. Then they're planting acre upon acre of various species of seed, all the while searching for the smallest of pests, searching for the smallest of, of, of weeds. And then they're waiting, waiting, waiting for time and space for the sun and rain to do their mysterious and miraculous work of seeds becoming sprouts, becoming stalks. Uh, the work of a farmer takes grit. We know this. It's kind of a low-hanging uh, fruit of a thought, but here's why I think this is so important in terms of our facing things that, are, that get us down, that make us want to quit, because we live in a culture that can fool us in this regard. We live in a culture that is all about the here and all about the now. It's all about instant gratification, I was on my phone app the other day, and the app slowed down, and I'm sitting there like, dude, this is taking five seconds longer than it should be taking. It's, it's kind of buggy, and I'm already like, this is how I'm conditioned to respond. I'm so sorry, software engineers. Like, I'm just like, software engineers, like, what? I go to the app store. There's no update for this bug, and I'm just, the next day, it's not there. I'm like, all right, I'm getting another app. Like, I don't know, wasting my five seconds waiting for this app to load, and, you know, we are so conditioned for the here and now, the instant. Here's what I am taking from this thought, this low-hanging fruit of a thought in terms of understanding this perspective that it takes grit. Life just doesn't happen. I am ta I'm taking the, the, the takeaway of not believing the lie that when it comes to the hard things that I face, that I should just be able to snap my fingers and it go away. That's not how it works, friends. But so often, because of this culture of instant gratification, we take that feeling, that thought, into the area of 
patience, endure, all these things that are hard, all these things in life that we know at the end of the day are of significance and value, they require patience. They require grit. And yet we just think somehow we get so down if they're not fixed right then and there. But that's just not the case. A related thought to this is the farmer knows that the work is cyclical. Again, verse 7, the farmer patiently waits for the autumn and spring rains. Now, that's the, those were the seasons in ancient, uh, well, today too, in Palestine that James was writing to, uh, to this, this group of people. But what's the principle here for us? Uh, we have life seasons. Just like there are earthly seasons, there's, like, there's seasons of life. There's seasons of highs as there's seasons of lows. There's seasons of, of ups and there's seasons of downs. There's seasons of rains, nourishment, and the rest of it. And there's seasons of drought or rains to come. So we need to not be surprised when it's not happening all the way we would hope or think it would right here and now. Life is cyclical. Um, and the Bible is filled with this sort of language. You, know, you look at Psalm 1, one of my favorite uh, places of Scripture. He talks about, blessed is the one who walks with the Lord. And he says, that person is like the tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. And then in Galatians 5, talking about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience. There's patience, uh, interestingly enough. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's fruit. And what's the deal with fruit? Fruit doesn't just, you know, open up your phone app and you got it. Snap your fingers and your problems are away and you're, you're, everything's great. Fruit takes time and it comes in season. And actually, one of the beautiful things about how trees work and how fruit ultimately come is it's actually during the times when there's no rains that the trees are putting down their roots deeper and deeper and are getting stronger and stronger, even as the season of germination is getting ready to come and is just around the corner. Uh, the, the, our life seasons are cyclical, so don't knock yourself down. Don't knock yourself down. Take yourself down when things are hard for you, if that's where you are now. And by the way, if things are great for you now, just understand. I mean, this is not to say and it won't be soon, you know. Uh, it, just understand that. There's, there's seasons of life. And understand that in relation to uh, what James is saying here in terms of the faith. Next thought. The farmer knows that the work requires faith. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its crop, patiently waiting for the rains? Uh, there's waiting involved for farming. Um, could you imagine being a farmer? And you're doing all this work. You're doing the tilling. You're, doing the, you're out there just molding the levels. You're getting everything prepared. You're doing all the rest of it, fertilizing, planting, all that sort of stuff. And then the rains never come. Or the rains don't come like you would hope they'd come. Like, could you imagine that? The farmer has to get, be good at waiting and having faith that, oh, it's, you know what, it's going to work out. I have a friend who lives in the panhandle of Texas. His... Uh, his uh, family are generational farmers. They just, for, like, they just have acre and acre and acres of land. And they've just been farming the land for just, I don't know how many, you know, years going back, generations, generations. And so I've learned a lot about farming through him, okay? I'm just a West Coast California guy. And I'm learning about farming. And he was telling me a couple years back, I remember that there was a storm that kind of came through, or no, I think it was an, a tornado that came through, and it was literally right before their harvest took out their entire crop. Like, they're in, we're talking, I want to say hundreds of acres. They're cry, I mean, it's, I forget the exact weather, but they got jacked, okay? Um, they, just, they were just really feeling it. And I asked my friend about it. He said, yeah, they're, we're really hurting. Like, it's, it's, it's really painful, um, you know, especially given the fact that the, year, the season previous to that hadn't had great of a harvest, so they were really feeling it. He said, but hey, they're farmers. 
they're tightening their belts, and they're already getting ready for the next harvest. This was literally a couple weeks after that disaster. Hey, they're farmers. They know. Farming, life, understanding through trials and, and, and going through things of adversity, it requires some faith. James says you can, you can, you can trust that things are going to work out. Um, you may be thinking at this point, as, as, I, as I was as I was wrestling with this, that like, okay, if this is how it goes, you know, what's the point? Like, why, why, why would I invest in something that is so risky in nature? Like, why would, I, why would I submit myself to that or to put it on James? Like, how is this encouraging, James? Um, but that leads us to another thought, and that is the farmer knows that there's a great harvest coming. It's all about the harvest, and the, and the, the farmer has their eye on it. Verse 7 again, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield. It's valuable crop. Uh, the farmer toils away the way that they toil away. They, they, they hit the ground and they work the ground to, to the extent they do because they know in due time it will be more than worthwhile. But when the Bible talks about harvest, it's talking about something infinitely more valuable and infinitely more certain. It's talking about a spiritual harvest, a harvest that can never be taken Way, a harvest that will never end, which leads us to the last thought that's related. The farmer sees the big picture. You know, the farmer is able to go out there and do the work, stay at it, have the grit, in spite of the difficulty, because they see the end from the beginning. And James, I believe, is asking us, followers of Jesus, to say, to ask ourselves, is what are we looking at what we're facing here and now in light of eternity? Are we seeing the struggle, the thing that we want to maybe just give up on? Are we seeing it in light of eternity? Because notice over and over again, James says throughout this text, verse 7, be patient until the Lord's coming. Verse 8, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And then verse 9, he's standing at the door. And then he gives this wonderful example from the prophets, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count blessed those who persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about for him. What's James saying? He's saying that the prophets, like the farmer, saw the end from the beginning. They saw the bigger picture because they knew of the assurance that's to come. So they persevered. And I, I just love that James calls out of all the prophets, Job. You know Job's story? Job was just, he just, he was just, he just came upon some just horrible suffering, okay? He was first of all described in the book as the most righteous person on, on the planet at the time, and yet he still endured just terrible affliction. We're talking losing almost his entire family, killed, murdered, almost uh, essentially all of his possessions, his farm just burned up, stolen, and then just got these sores that were so painful that he literally says towards the beginning of the book, just let me sit under a tree and, and let me die. Uh, that's Job's story. But here's why I love Job being used as an example by James here, because he's such a mixed bag when it comes to his example of being a patient guy. I mean, listen to Job in, in, in chapter 10 of, that, of his book. I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you condemned against, uh, contend against me. That's language of saying, I want to give up. Wouldn't you say? And yet he's 
lifted up as an example by James. Why? Because, James, because Job, in the end, persevered. Job 13 says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job 19 says, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. I love that James is holding up Job as an example of perseverance, because he's showing that to be patient is not an easy thing in the midst of hardship. And yet, what are we called to do? What can we do? It's just to stand firm, just to keep going. Why? Because the Lord will take care of us. Uh, James says, you have heard Job's perseverance, and you've seen that the Lord finally brought about what, what the Lord finally brought about for him. The end of the story of Job is amazing. Job's restored. He gets, you know, he has a bigger family at the end of the church, at the end of the, 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 the book. You know, he's, his land is like doubled, and, you know, his, his skin is healed, all that sort of thing. It's wonderful. I had a professor in seminary who said, I can't stand how Job ends in that way, <laughs> which I always kind of chuckled about because I'm like, teaching the Bible, but you're like thinking like, why, why would that happen? And, you know, like, why would you, he, he, this, this guy was just like, I, I can't stand that Job ends that way because so much of life doesn't end that way, which when he said that way, he's like, oh, that makes more sense. He was just saying, like, I can't stand that Job ends with God just, like, making his life so much better because so many of folks, when they're in the midst of suffering, it's really hard. And it's not like their life at the end is like, hey, everything's better now. And yet, what James here is saying, that is missing the point. Because Job's story is meant to show for you and me that whatever we suffer in this life and the goodness that we can even experience in this life is only a foreshadowing, only a taste of the wonderful things to come that are infinitely better. Job's story in the end of him being redeemed on this, in this life really ultimately don't matter. Pale in, in, in contrast to what Job will receive in, this next, in the next life. And will pale in, in, in comparison to what every follower of Jesus, what, every, what is promised to every follower of Jesus, puts their hope and trust in them. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says it this way, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Don't you see, this is the power that God gives us in face, to, to face any affliction that comes upon us in life. It's to lift our eyes up and to see the bigger picture. This last little thought that James says here in our text, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Well, how do we know and how can we be so sure? Uh, Jesus, as ever, is our pattern and our model in this. If you uh, listen to the how the, the author of Hebrews writes about this. Listen to how much of this language parale parallels James. The Hebrews writer wrote this, Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Uh, are you feeling weary? Are you feeling at a loss of heart? Are you facing something in life right now that really has you down and it has you wanting to give up? Fix your eyes on Jesus. 
For the joy set before him, he endured. Consider him who endured. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus that you and I can endure because he endured for us. He gave up comfort. He gave up security. He gave up wealth, the whole deal, to face the cross, and he did so with joy. How did he face the cross with joy? Because he saw the bigger picture. He understood what it would mean for everybody who would put their faith in him. And though it cost him everything, he was happy and did it willingly with joy. He saw the bigger picture uh, so that you and I, too, can now receive what he's given us and live with the bigger picture in mind. Uh, if I can share, you know, this, I, I, I feel like this has been a lesson the Lord's been, been showing and, and, and grinding in me um, over the last few years. Uh, if you come to the, the welcome lunch after this, you'll hear a little bit more of the story of Current. But the story of Current, from, from my personal experience, is God gave us a wonderful calling to say, okay, I want, this, I want to start this church, and you guys are going to be a part of this. And I'm like, okay. Um, and so we geared up to start doing that. But as soon as the realities of what that looked like and what that meant began to become more true to me, boy, I started to balk. <laughs> I started to get really unsure. I got started to get really scared. I started to get really upset, even uh, bitter at times, frankly, confessionally. And yet, I am so thankful that the Lord dragged me through that process. I'm so thankful that the Lord allowed us to, to be a part of this because in spite the pain, in spite the hardship, we're so incredibly grateful for what God has done and where He has brought things here today in terms of the growing community, in terms of the life change, in terms of people coming to know Jesus. You know what's interesting to me about the example of Job is that if you think about it from the perspective of, do you think Job would have wished upon himself that suffering ahead of time? Like, of course not. Like, no way. And yet, from this side of his suffering and from his vantage point in heaven now, do you think he's thankful for that suffering? I would have to think certainly he is because of what he got to be a part of and what God is. It has already been using his example for uh, in terms of encouraging you and me. Uh, all this means if you're facing suffering here and now, it, it, it's going to be challenging, of course. You're going to be tempted to give up. You're going to be feeling weary. You're going to feel like I might as well just be done. But let the lessons of what James has, has here before sink in. You know, these lessons that it requires grit and we lose that perspective. The, the lessons of it's cyclical and just there's going to be ups and downs and sometimes the downs are longer than we would hope for and this or that that requires faith and all that. Let all these lessons sink in. But most importantly, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to him who endured. Consider him who endured so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. The coming of the Lord is near, James says. Be patient and stand firm. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for how practical these words are because the reality is we're all, if we're not facing it now, regularly facing things that just are really trying. They're a real struggle. Some of it's systematic, systemic, excuse me, in terms of our culture and the things that we, we face and feel. Some, some of it's personal. In the, in the work world, in the, in the relationship world, in, in, in the, boy, the, the living situation here. There's a lot of things to, to struggle with and to just to feel like giving up on, just to be more than down over. We thank you for the lessons on patience, how we can just gird ourselves up, that we can, we can,
commit ourselves to the work because we know the harvest is going to be better and, and infinitely uh, more beautiful and it's going to be re- everything's going to be redeemed. But thank you most of all for your son who for the joy set before him endured so that we can endure. And so that we know that whatever we're facing, as hard as it might be, we know that you, are, you have your, our best in mind. And one day we'll be with you for eternity when all things are made right. Father, would you help us be a church that's not only patient, but would you help us to be an example for those in a world that's just really, it's really hard, an example, or at least uh, uh, markers, pointers to your goodness and your love. Help us to humbly do so as we extend your love to those around us. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.